Let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for Your Retirement Elevated. Hello and welcome to another edition of Your Retirement Elevated. Walter Storholt here with you once again alongside Scott Dugan. He's the man you're here to hear, not here to see. You're here to hear Scott Dugan on today's program, the co-founder and managing partner of Elevated Retirement Group, serving you throughout the Kansas City metro area, but also serving clients all across the country. Check us out online by going to listentoscott.com. That's listentoscott.com. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google, and all the different places you hear podcasts. Scott, what's going on? How are you, sir? Happy to be here. The sun is shining finally here in the Midwest, so it's a good day. We've like, uh, at the time of this recording, as we're recording today's episode, Scott, it's like literally I think the switch has flipped from the you know doldrums of winter to like the optimism of spring, right? All that happens with daylight savings time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone hates daylight savings time, like for the loss of the hour of sleep. But everyone, I think, enjoys that change in mentality once you get over the sleep deprivation, right? Absolutely. <laughs> We've got lots of great stuff to talk about on today's program. And the timing of our show is important this particular week, maybe more than other weeks on the podcast, because we are going to be talking about somewhat you know, current events. But you know, this should still apply for much of 2019, or at least for the next little while. The things that we talk about, I think, are going to be important. But we're kind of going to take a step back. You know, We had the uh, State of the Union for the country back at the beginning of the year. Several states then have their State of the State. Well, we're going to have the state of the markets with Scott Dugan and uh, take a little bit of a look at the past and see what happened in the market last year, Scott, but also maybe what we can learn from that, see where we are now and look ahead as well. So uh, take us through this as you kind of deliver your state of the markets speech on today's show. Absolutely. And I thought today would be a great recap. We just did our state of the markets client event last week and had many clients that came out to the university and we shared a lot of great information. It's always great to catch up with folks. So I thought a podcast would be applicable just to recap. And also we've got a lot of clients that live out of state. So this would be a good little primer for them as well. You know, we always when we get together with our clients and this particular state of the markets, you know, it's a lot of focus on the markets and the economy. But I always want to take a step back and remind people that true financial planning is much more than just investments. And there are five key areas that we've talked about on the show many, many times, what we call complete planning. And you know, number one is always having a solid, predictable, dependable income plan because retirement doesn't happen without cash flow. I think we can all agree with that. But once we understand what we need our money to do, then and only then can we choose the investment vehicles that help us get us to our destination. And so we like to say in the investments are simply the servant to the plan the plan that gets you the income that you need in retirement. So that's the first two sections, that income and investments. That's designing what you want, how to deliver that income over your lifetime. The other three key areas of financial planning are about how to protect what you've saved and what you've earned over the years. So that's why tax planning and tax minimization is extremely important. Healthcare planning, you know, we talk about our 65 plus clients that look at Medicare, Medicare supplements. There's a big focus on long-term care. What is it? How do you strategize and protect against it? And finally, we talk about estate planning and getting your legal documents in order. Now, we're not estate planners. We're not attorneys, but we work very closely with other professionals to make sure that all your documents are in order and your planning that we've done for you is clearly reflected in those documents. So again, I always like to come back to the basics of 
We're going to talk about investments today a little bit, but again, investments are a small part of the overall big picture. We should always use those central tenants as sort of our guiding light as we analyze pretty much anything in the financial world. And so as we take the state of the markets report here and, and start thinking about these things in depth, just use that as sort of, that's where we can always fall back to as we look at these different things, right, Scott? Absolutely. And, you know, we're looking back, you know, what drove the market performance in 2018. I think there's, you know, three big things that are really drove the performance. Obviously, trade tension, which we'll talk about, uh, interest rate increases, and then we had midterm elections. So those are really the the big three drivers or things we're going to focus on today when we talk about market performance. So we're going to talk about what happened first, and then a little bit later, we're going to talk about, well, why did that happen? So we always want to think about, you know, the what with a why. And so a lot of us know that 2018 was a fairly rough year in the markets during that final fourth quarter. So that October, November, December was a fairly rough time. We tested some limits. The S&P 500 was down almost 20%, which we just fleeted on the bear market correction there. But ever since that point, we've come back up and had a pretty strong 2019 uh, to this point. But a lot of that was driven by you know the trade tension we have going on around the world. But mostly, we've got a lot of trade tension with China. And it sounds like we've came to a little bit of a standstill into last week. Uh, they thought they were making inroads, but they're stalling. But what is this? What is this posturing? It's countries trying to make a better situation for themselves economically. And the U.S. is trying to get better terms, and the Chinese want the best terms they can get for themselves. So that's where the tension comes into play. And looking at last year, there was really six trade tension timeframes between March and December that really push things to the limit. But again, this is just working through things. There's nothing catastrophic about it, but just market doesn't like uncertainty and it had a little bit of uncertainty this year. I and think so, it's interesting to see the the graphics of when December plummets, you know, and it, it can be very shocking, I think, to see sort of that, that big decline it, after so many ups and ups and ups. It is. And it's definitely, it's uncomfortable but it's not unfamiliar. And we'll talk a little bit later in our time today, of, you know, how the markets work. Hey, 2017 was relatively boring. We only had four negative days in the market in 2017. And then, you know, 2018 rolls around and we get some volatility in, you know, January, February timeframe. And then we get a pretty large decline in the fourth quarter. But again, 2019 started to be ever steady growing back, you know, towards the positive way. So you're right. It's, when people look at it in the short term, like, oh my gosh, it's uh, that was a, a pretty steep decline. But if you start backing up and backing further away from that, you'll see that the trend is still upward and to the right when you're, if you're thinking about a graph. And I'll tell you, you know, that trade tension, you know, the federal funds target rate, the Fed wants to increase interest rates. And we talked about this at the event. When you go back, there's a book that we have here in the office. It's the history of interest rates throughout time. I know that sounds like a riveting read for a lot of you, but it's about 500 pages of the history behind interest rates back to the Babylonians. And very interesting enough that the average interest rate over time, over centuries, has been about 5%. 
And obviously, we're below that right now. So the Fed would like to see interest rates go up. Now, obviously, that puts sometimes pressure on the markets. The Fed has said they want to increase interest rates twice in 2019. But I think they've definitely left room in there to delay or postpone those, depending on market activity. So a little bit of a bright, shiny spot there. But in all of this, whether it's trade tension, whether it's, you know, interest rates, you know, the midterm elections are over, there's something called media magnification that I always stress to our clients and listeners is that what is the media's job? And the media's job is to get our attention and to keep our attention because ultimately what do they want? They want you to keep your eyeballs on the screen or on your phone or on your computer and they want to be able to advertise things and they want advertising dollars. I know that's no surprise to anybody on, on the podcast today, but that's how it works. And so when I mean by media magnification in that fourth quarter, and Walter, you talked about, yeah, you used the word plummet when you talked about that decline. Yeah. Well, the media used the word crash, and I wish I could go through and quantify all the times they use crash but I, I did see this video somebody put together it's just this talking head after talking head talking about the crash you know the crash of the market well we didn't have a market crash uh, we had a correction but they like to magnify those things so not picking on any one media outlet over the other i'm just saying that we need to remember that the media is not your advisor <laughs> they're not the trusted firm or person that you're entrusting your life savings with. They just want viewership. Yeah. A good reminder, too, that words words matter, right? I mean, what you use, the vocabulary you use to describe things does have importance because crash in maybe the media's mind in that one way was just a cool descriptor. But from a financial planning standpoint, like crash has an actual definition compared to correction or, you know, different levels. Absolutely. And, and we talked about that at at the State of the Markets event, you know, what is a market correction? And I say, technically, what is it? Because I like to be precise with our words and our definitions. And so a pullback in the market is when the market goes down five to 9%. So that's a pullback, right? If we're at, we decline 10 to 19%, that's a correction. Okay, so five to nine pullback, 10 to 19 correction. Now, what was the total S&P down the fourth quarter? It was down 19.2. So we just almost touched the bear market 20% and more, but we halted and we've been on the way back up. So again, pullback, correction, bear market. These are very specific terms, very specific declines. And again, we only got through the correction point. And if we put this into context, if we look at history, I'm a history buff. So over 126 market corrections have happened from 1900 to 2018. Now, Walter, that's approximately one correction per year. That seems relatively frequent on the it, grand scheme of things. It does. But if you look at the chart that I showed, it spells it out, you know, in, in black and white. And there's been so remember what's, what's a correction? It's the market's down 10 to 19%. There's been 32 bear markets. What's a bear market? A drop of 20% or more. That's happened 32 times in that same period. That's one approximately every three and a half years. Okay. Even that doesn't seem, you know, all that infrequent. I mean, right. three and a half years is, is a blink of the eye. All right. But how long has it been since we've actually had a 
19% correction, it's been a little while. Yeah. So we had the worst steepest decline in a 90-day period since 2008. We were due for one in December already, and since we didn't quite reach that bear market level, are we still due for one, you think? Well, I can tell you that at some point, because it's happened throughout history, that there's going to be something that makes you know, a, a large decline in the market. I know I read Jamie Diamond, uh, Jamie Diamond, excuse me. Uh, he just came out. He's a prognosticator. He's the head of JP Morgan said that he believes that the next recession or bear market may be caused by student loan debt. Because we just eclipsed one and a half trillion dollars in the student loan. And that's a whole nother podcast and a whole nother discussion. But your question was, are we going to have one? The answer is yes, because it, it happens throughout history. Thing is, I just can't tell you when it's going to be. So all we can do is plan and talk about making sure that your plan will operate in a range that you're comfortable with and you can sleep well at night. That's what we can do. To me, there's some comfort, Scott, in knowing that these all follow pretty good statistical models. I mean, yes, we're an outlier right now for how long we've gone without the bear market. But in terms of history, you know, small declines happen more frequently. Medium level declines happen a little less frequently. And the big declines don't happen that often. I mean, these things follow sort of statistical rules, which is kind of cool to see. Absolutely. And and it's our job to give you context to the data that you're receiving. And if you think about you know, the whole tenet of our planning practices, we want you to make decisions based on facts and logic so you don't make knee-jerk emotional decisions. So what's an example of a knee-jerk decision? There was record selling of equities in the month of December of 2018. All right. Some of the highest levels of sell-off we've seen since 2008. So what happened on basically Christmas Eve of 2018, that was the end of that correction almost into bear market territory. We've been on the way up since then. So just think about the people that panicked. They've abandoned their investment discipline. They abandoned their plan, or worse yet, they didn't have a plan. They said, this time it's different. I need to go to cash because things are unraveling. The media says that we're crashing. This is the end as we know it. Well, I can tell you that one of the worst thing that happens is now those people have regret. And now they've been sitting in cash. They're trying to decide now when is the best time to enter back into the market or even worse, they're hoping for the next decline so they can time it correctly in the future. And I'm telling you that people cannot time the market successfully. There's a handful of people have done that throughout history. And when you time the markets, you have to be right twice. You have to know when to get out and when to get back in. And study after study have proven that the average investor and most managers do not have the skill or the ability to do that. So again, we just need to make sure we've got the right level of risk in your portfolio to make it work and the level of risk you're comfortable with. Throughout history, we've seen some of those, you know, really big indicators, those big moments have caused big drops in the stock market and people to follow really that same kind of mentality, right? Oh, I got to get out right now while it's bad. And the thing that always sticks with me is it always comes back up. It does. And 
you know, one of my early mentors, he goes, you know, I can't predict when the market's, you know, going to go up or down, but he said, I can tell you this, when the market goes down, it's eventually going to go back up and it goes back up. It's eventually going to go down, but all those things are temporary, you know, they're blips and really these short-term movements. If we're a long-term investor and we've got our assets allocated correctly, where we've got plenty of cash, you know, that war chest, if you like to call it, where we can get through those times of, of mark volatility. If we've got investments that are guaranteed or protected, where there's a floor underneath them, well, those are the buckets of money we go to when the markets are volatile. When the markets are doing really well and we need income, we may take it from those other assets that are in the market, maybe take some of those chips off the table. You know, so you're correct. The best thing that we can do for our clients is to be a sounding board, to always remind them of the investment discipline we put together and let them know that whenever that phrase, but this time it's different, enters into your brain, we can just go look throughout history of people that made decisions because they thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is the end. Well, it hasn't been. We've been through a lot of, a lot of rough times throughout history. So we just want to, I know it sounds corny, but most of the time staying the course turns out to be the right thing to do. So if you're a long-term person, don't let these short-term issues have a big impact on you mentally. Yes. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, that when you hear something or your thoughts are going through your head, you have to ask yourself, the information I'm taking in, does it actually affect me personally in my life or my retirement? And if the answer is yes, then the next question is, well, how much does it really affect us in the long term? And most of the time, if you ask yourself that first question, you won't even get to the second question because you'll realize it doesn't really make that much difference. You know, but again, it's hard to look at your own money objectively. I was talking to a, a client and they were asking me, well, how, how do I, how do I, Scott, as the advisor, how do I stay so you know, unemotional and objective with my own money? I said, well, it's tough. I said, because it's my money. I said, I manage part of our assets, but I use third-party institutional portfolio managers, just like we do for our clients, for a very large part of my wife and I's future retirement. Why? Because the people that we hire are objective and don't make knee-jerk reactions. They're making very solid, fact-based decisions about the dollars we were saving, more so than I can with my dollars. And it works with our clients. I'm the planner. You know, we've got planners in our office. We're putting the plans together. We're making appropriate investment decisions and selections. And we know that over time, those things have a high probability of success. Our job is to make sure that you don't make big mistakes. So we kind of, we joke around, we call ourselves big mistake insurance. You know, we don't want you panicking and selling out on December 24th and the market rebounding rapidly over the next 30 days because that will bring about regret and regret tastes horrible. You don't want that. Yeah, that's not a good flavor for sure. And <laughs> so we want to stay away from that as much as we can. So that's a good state of the uh, of the markets on, you know, looking back what has happened 2018 and you danced a little bit on, you know, the early parts of 2019, but obviously everyone wants to know the answer to the question, where are we now and where are we going? 
So at our event, I showed a slide that had 20 speedometers on it. And each of those speedometers was a, an indicator of the health of some certain economic or financial piece of the world. And when I showed December 2018, there was a bear on that slide. And guess what? Those speedometers, over three-fourths of them are red or in a negative standpoint. Two of them were yellow or neutral, and three of them were green and positive. So just envision this red, green, yellow like a stop sign. Well, in 2008, there's a whole lot of red. Mm -hmm. But I compared that to December 2018, and of those 20 speedometers, there was a bull, but there was one red speedometer, four yellow speedometers, and the other 15 were green. Right. So what that tells us is the underlying economic conditions are still positive or neutral and we only had one that was negative and that was geopolitical and geopolitical what does that fall under things like tariffs uh brexit geopolitical risk unrest i think that's probably going to be red for a long time and more than likely so the moral of that story is 2008 there was a lot of economic indicators that didn't look good december 2018 even though we had a minor market correction, the fundamentals are still there. And I'm not saying that can't change going forward, but right now, at least for the next you know 60 to 90 days, again, we look at these every month, things are looking like we could be cautiously optimistic about the future. Speaking of optimism, what are some of those things that we still sort of have in our favor at the moment? So when we talk about you know positive forces, I call them tailwinds. Everything else we talked about are headwinds like tariffs and geopolitical risk. Let's talk about the positive things. Corporate profits are still doing well. Consumer spending is still up. You know, labor market is strong. Unemployment's down. There's still plenty of credit that's available for businesses to do what they need to do. So again, a lot a lot of positive things that are in our favor. And again, we'll continue to watch and make sure that we're going that situation. But right now, I would say that underlying things are good and we'll, we'll tread lightly and be optimistic about the future. Well, 2018 was one of those interesting years, especially, I guess, because the one big drop that we really experienced in the year happened right at the end in the month of December is kind of interesting to look at because still as, as a whole, it wasn't a a terrible year, even though it had that big newsmaking drop in it, that headline maker. And you're right. So yes, the end of the year magnified, you know, what happened, but overall, the markets are still up substantially since, you know, the 2008 recession and the financial crisis. And we're continuing to go to the right and upwards, like most of us want for our portfolios. So given the economic indicators, kind of where things stand, if somebody's listening to the podcast today or they, you know, maybe came to the, the event that you had where you talked about these things and this is serving as a good refresher of some of those things you discussed, you know, what are the steps that somebody can take to make sure that they're, you know, good to go for 2019 if they had some action steps to keep in mind? Well, I think there's three big ones that you want to look out for. One, if you're a client of ours, you always want to keep us in the loop with important life changes. We communicate consistently through email, direct mail, phone calls, this podcast. But if something comes up in your life, you definitely want to reach out and call us and get in to see us. I right before this podcast started, I got an email from a client 
that she is 60 days out from retirement. And so that would be considered an important life-changing event. So she wants to come in and get everything mapped out. So keep us in the loop. Any concerns you have about your planning or investments, let's have a conversation about it. A lot of the times there can be misplaced anxiety, but again, we're here to talk through those things to make sure you're going to be okay. And finally, make sure that all of your important legal and financial documents are always up to date. Uh, That's a good once a year type of scenario that needs to go through. And so that's what you can do to keep things on track. What we can do, we're always going to keep you informed throughout regular communication. We're going to manage your financial plan according to your personalized strategy and risk comfort level. And it's our job to stay on top of changes in the market environment and also make prudent adjustments where necessary. And so, again, it's a give and take there. And ultimately, as we as we wrap it up, what can you expect from us? We're always going to communicate. We're going to have frequent discussions about what's going on out there in the world. It's our job to review all the economic tax, estate, and investment issues for our clients. We do that so you don't have to worry and fret about that. We'll read it all, take care of it, distill it down, and we'll give you the salient points so you can absorb it. And one of my clients said he likes reading our information and listening to the podcast because when he goes to a cocktail party or is at the water cooler at work, he feels like he can discuss things with authority. And he said <laughs> it makes him feel feel really smart. So I appreciate that. I'm glad we're providing that service to you. That's exactly why we do this, right? For that exact reason. <laughs> Absolutely. Here for you whenever you need it. No doubt about it. Well, there you go. The state of the markets as we uh, you know kind of pass through the first quarter of 2019 here. A lot of things to be thinking about this year going forward and to keep an eye on. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you've got any questions about what we discussed or as Scott mentioned, you want to communicate about maybe some concerns you have about your own financial plan, communication is so important and really is the number one thing to be thinking about. If there's something you need to communicate, do that. And Scott and the team at Elevated Retirement Group can talk to you about what's on your mind. 913-393-4724 is the number to call. If you've got questions, just reach out to the team that way. 913-393-4724. And the podcast is always online at listentoscott.com. Check out past episodes of the show. Lots of great information there on the website. That's listentoscott.com. For Scott Dugan, I'm Walter Storholt. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time back here on Your Retirement Elevated. Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.